You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. You can be seated tonight because we're going to be reading Scripture all night long. And so uh, in honor of the Word of God, I'll let you be seated tonight. And the church said, Amen. 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 So thank you for being here. Just by way of uh, letting you know a little bit, last night, for those that came to prayer, you may have heard some ruckus, ruckus and commotion going on in the back foyer. We were trying to keep it down, but uh, we have began the process of demoing this first old office room, and we are uh, in process to build a new women's bathroom. Uh <laughs> All the women immediately clapped their hands. Amen. It will be uh, improved and expanded. And so we will uh, have, unfortunately, we may displace the men. Thank you so much. We may displace the men for a little while uh, through this process. But I want to assure all of our ladies that um, you will have a bathroom here every service all, all the time. Uh, the men's bathroom may be under construction during the process when we finally get there. We're going to try to do as much as we can in the new room, but eventually the existing men's bathroom now and that old front office will all be combined to be one large uh, new women's restroom. And the plan will be uh, six stalls, two handicap, uh, four sinks, a lot of space, uh, to hang out. There is no coffee bar in there, though, unfortunately, <laughs> so I don't want you to get too excited. Uh, but And then we will reconfigure the present ladies' room now, and that will become the new men's bathroom after we complete the other project. So, uh, so yeah, pardon our mess is while we uh, go ahead here and uh, in the next couple months try to achieve this project. So, that's exciting. Thank you to everybody that's helping with that and all the men that came out and helped uh, start the process last night. We are in a series here, The Wisdom of God, studying 1 Corinthians. And uh, so we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we're gonna get going to get all the way through uh, chapter 2 tonight. Um, uh, regardless of what you think, we're getting through chapter 2 tonight. <laughs> And so I believe we finished last, or we stopped last week around verse 21. And so this is our third week uh, of the series here. And we're just walking through this epistle letter that Paul has given to the church. It's so relevant for us today, um, powerful for us today. And we're, we don't want to add anything to it. We just want to go through here and try to understand what is being communicated to us by the word of the Lord here. And in this passage of Scripture where we, we stopped, we did not complete the thought, so we're sort of jumping back into the middle, and we were in the middle there. Tyler, it is so good to see you home. Wow. Welcome home. It just dawned on me that you're sitting over there. Oh, my goodness. Awesome to have him home after... It's been in a few months in the Middle East. Glad to have you safely home. Amen. Amen. So we're jumping back in tonight here, and we're continuing uh, with Paul's subject of the preaching of the cross. We had already talked about how uh, he established the preaching of the cross uh, is to them that perish, in verse 18, foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And so we understand, uh, we understand what God is doing here. And we, we, we talked about how to the human mind, especially in that day, Corinth being the largest city in, in uh, Greece, uh, being a place where they were uh, deeply concerned with quote-unquote wisdom. Philosophy was the rule of the age. But what the carnal man and the human man values is different than what God values. And so here comes this story that would not uh, 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 have any, uh, um, let's say, uh, drawing to them, uh, not a story of a man coming in with, with power 
and, and conquering, but one of God Almighty manifest in humble flesh, coming down, walking among us like a lamb led to the slaughter, led to the slaughter. He goes on the cross and he dies willingly, lays his life down. This has no appeal to secular man. Uh, there's no vindication here. There's no vengeance. There's no revenge. There's no justification in that. But that's because they don't know the whole story, and they're looking at it from a human viewpoint. And so this is what Paul says. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. It makes no sense, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God. And so we skip on down here, verse 20, where's the wise, where's the scribe, where's the disputer of this world? He's sort of making a case. Yeah, all those men that follow after civilizations that follow after human reasoning and life, where are you today? All of them. Well, they passed away as well. They, uh, you, you Greeks that value wisdom so great, where's your empire today? Oh yeah, it was overthrown by the Romans. Yeah, yeah, that, that really worked out really well for you. And, and, and he says here, hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And then in verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. So this is by our own human reasoning and our own human uh, understanding, our secular mind. The world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. God said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Uh, I'm not going to save them just by power and wonders and might. Now, when Jesus came, did he do miracles? Absolutely, he did miracles. But do you know that people showed up to see his miracles, participate in his miracles, and then many of them would turn around and go home to the same lifestyle and the same ways. That when Jesus just sat down and tried to teach them, no, they, they weren't opposed to that. At one point, the crowd was so great and it walked away. He looked at his disciples and said, are you going to go away also? Are you going to walk away also? No, no, Lord. No, Lord. You, you alone have the words of life. You alone. And, 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 and so, so they would remain. And this is what it says. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So here we are talking about the foolishness of preaching and he's highlighting something here. The Jews require a sign. Now the Jews, to them, the cross was an accursed thing. Uh, the law states whoever's hung on a cross is accursed. So to them, no king, no deliverer would come down to this earth and die a death on a cross. That was reserved for the most hardened criminals. There was a curse upon those people, no hope for them. Uh, so that, that, was not, uh, that was not possible. That, that was never uh, part of... There, uh, uh, even that was never part of their. Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, capital punishment, even in the Old Testament. And yet Jesus comes and he dies a death by the Roman crucifix. To the Jews, it was a curse, and so uh, they did not uh, believe that Jesus Christ was God manifested flesh, because no God would come down this way, even though. Every sign in the book literally was given to them that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. The Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after the wisdom. So the Greeks, to the Greeks, this idea of, of a Messiah coming down and dying a martyr's death on a cross, willingly laying down his life, being fully selfless, laying down every ambition, every desire, every human desire, willing to lay that down. To the, to the Greeks, that was just utter foolishness. It, this doesn't make sense. And 
This is also true in our, our heart and reality today. I would also dare say that in my own human reasoning, I don't want to lay down my desires. Even when I come to church, I want church to be the way I want it. If, if us here in 2022 come to church, at, and, and, and I, I don't need to ask for a witness or a show of hands here because I know it's human nature. Every single one of us want to come to church that we want. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If that was the case for us, how much more was that the case for everyone that showed up to Jesus' teachings and multitudes? And they're showing up, but they're wanting a teacher that they want. Isn't that, isn't that a sign of the last days that Paul warned? He said in the last days, come on, they're going to have itching ears. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Tell me something I want to hear. Tell me something that I want. And oh, it is fun. Church is fun when you're when you're living for God. But but not for your flesh. Right. No. Right. It's not fun for your flesh. Our flesh wants to come in. I want come in, tell me, preacher, that I'm right. And she's wrong. You know, that's that's how we that's how we approach things. And and so it, it doesn't work to the to the to the Jews. He says, look at what he says. In verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. I, I touched on this a little bit Sunday morning. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. This doesn't make sense. This does not make sense in our human reasoning. And I don't, I don't want to rehash the, the reference that I made Sunday morning, but, but let me just go back here and cover this for this series. Paul says, makes the distinction but we preach Christ crucified. That is a statement of truth right there that's interjected. Look at, look at the language here in this text. Look at this verse here. But we preach Christ crucified. So he's going through the whole thing. After the world, uh, the world after wisdom knew not God. Please God by the foolishness preaching to save them that believe. Jews seek a sign. Greeks foolish. But we preach Christ crucified. Crucified. There's an emphatic here. We preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ. What's that mean? God manifest in the flesh. Not another person, another teacher, just another rabbi, but the very God. I am that I am manifest in the flesh come down among us. The miracle of the incarnation. And we preach him crucified. He came down and he died for your sins and my sins, for the sins of the whole world. And not just that he died, but that he rose again and he lives now and reigns forever and is carrying out his work and his plan in this world. We preach Christ crucified. This is what Paul's saying. Look, he, he now, now, go back. What is he dealing with? He's dealing with contentions. He's dealing with issues in the church. What did he establish here in this first chapter? There should be no divisions among you. Everybody remember that? He was saying, some of you were saying, well, I was baptized by Paul. And others would say, I was baptized by Apollos. And I was baptized by the Apostle Peter. Well, I, am, my faith comes straight from God, bless God. My, my anointing's higher than your anointing. And he says, it doesn't matter who, who dunked you under the water and called the name of the Lord over you. That doesn't matter. What matters is the work that Jesus did on the cross. It's God that saves you. Amen. We preach Christ crucified. It's not going to make sense to the world, but I refuse to improve on God's message, to help God out, to dress it up, to make it more palatable to a secular mind. I'm just going to preach Christ crucified. I know it's a stumbling block to the Jews. I, I know to the Greeks it is foolishness, but we preach Christ crucified. So you see Paul's dealing with here a little bit of tension. This division that they're having in the church, he's dealing with a little bit of, of, of tension or temptation 
to make the church something that it's not. We're going to see this line, uh, uh, this line of thought carried out as he continues on. Let's go on here. He said, but unto them which are called both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Christ is the power of God. If you think about the, the miracle of the incarnation, you think about this, Jesus said, destroy this body, and in three days destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They laughed at him, and they mocked him. He said, okay, I'll do it. And he did it. That is the power of God. That is the moment of truth. That's, that's the moment of revelation. That was an incredible thing. And it was so powerful, you go back in the Gospels and you look, that the, uh, the Sanhedrin could not figure out where the body of Christ was. They get the message that the tomb has uh, been broken open. They get the message from the Roman soldiers that the tomb has been broken open by angels and Jesus' body is no longer in there. And you know what the Sanhedrin? Well, they can't find the body of Christ. They can't produce the evidence that he's dead anymore. So the Bible says that they paid the soldiers. They said, we'll give you a ton of money if you'll just say that you saw his dead body and it's buried. Don't say anything about this. They literally had to pay off the soldiers because they could not prove the fact that Jesus Christ rose again. And here these disciples are saying, this is the power of God. <laughs> not even the great Roman Empire could keep Jesus Christ from doing what Jesus Christ came to do. The power of God. So that's that. You want to wonder why the early church was able to sustain the martyring and the persecution? They had no fear of governments. Because their leader had been buried and rose again. The governments couldn't do anything to them. And so they had no fear of government. Folks, I, the end of the world's upon us, perhaps. I don't know the day or the hour. I don't know the time. I don't know how it's going to work out. But we do not have to live in fear. Gas can go to $20 a gallon. There can be all kinds of stuff. But we do not have to live in fear. I know all this stuff that's going on in our world, all this craziness, all this chaos right now. I mean, things are being played out, set up. We're all, we've all got smartphones. This is the way our world works. Our phones are listening to us all the time. And you think that there's not an intent for that. At some point, they want to push the button and say, okay, everybody that's saying this or saying this, or we're going to delete, we're going to enslave, we're going to prison, we're going to do away with, we're going to do whatever. I know all that stuff is being worked out. I know that's all happening, but I'm not going to sit up at night and worry about it. I'm not going to have anxiety about it. What are we going to do? We preach Christ crucified. This is what we continue to do. We're going to do the same thing we've always done. Well, we got to make an appeal to the Corinthians, and we got to make an appeal to the Jews. No, 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 no. We preach Christ crucified. And, and so he goes on, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Look at what he says here. Let's go on. The next segment here. <laughs> he talks about in these next few verses is that we glory in the Lord. Now, this is, this is an interesting way that Paul is dealing with division in the church. Okay? He first says, stop being divided. Do you even understand what you're saying? This is foolishness. And then the way he's dealing with division in the church is he re reunites them to their full focus and purpose, and that is the preaching of Christ crucified. And, and now he's, he's, he's beginning uh, uh, to let us know that God's ways are not man's ways. Because what really happens when division's in the church is that really just carnal, selfish man is resurrecting and, and, and in interjecting himself into the body, and that's where the trouble and the problems come. But here he says, now we ought to glory in God. For ye see, verse 26, look at this. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, 
Not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now, this is the most gentle letdown if I have ever read a gentle letdown. This is a compliment that's not a compliment. This is what Paul is saying. Did you catch that? Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Oh, and by the way, you're the ones that are called. What's he saying? He's saying, you're really not all that impressive. In the world's eye, if, if the world walked by, they're probably not going to stop and pay much attention to you. They're not going to say, ooh, wow, look at those people. You are not going to top the celebrity charts in, in uh, uh, you know, the, the, the current month, monthly. This is what he's saying here. This, this, this is not something, uh, uh, look at this. Uh, this, this. There's not many wise here, not many mighty, not many uh, noble. What else is he saying? The church is not in vogue with the social elites of our society. That's right. Amen. I hope we're okay with this in our faith. Because if your faith in God is hinged upon how popular your Christianity is. Now, I'm just being really simple tonight here. But we cannot get to the place to where we are attending church or going to church or living for God because our church, our religion, whatever, is the who's who of the community or the society or it's the upper echelon of the movement or it's got the most followers on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram or it's whatever. No, 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 no. Paul said, let's take a look here. Not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty. Yeah, yeah, some of you are blessed. Some of you are smart. Some of you have enough money. You don't have to worry about anything. But, but the world is not running to your door saying, wow, I want to be just like you. He said, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of this world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? that no flesh should glory in his presence. Does everybody remember Friday night of our centennial celebration weekend? My wife and I were talking today about the message that Brother Graham preached. And I know he's preached it more places than just here, but about us being a vessel, not a vault. And how the Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency may be of God, not of us. And he talked about when somebody's serving a drink, he said, he talked, pulled out that styrofoam cup. He said, you serve something in this. Nobody's saying, wow, look at that cup. Where did you get that cup? Where can I find a cup like that? Man, that's what I need is a little foam cup. No, he said, but when you serve a drink like this, all people are paying attention to is what is inside the cup. I'm going to tell you, this is what Paul is saying here in another way. He said, look, God didn't choose you because you're talented, because you're blessed, because you're the upper echelon, because the world's going to follow after you. God chose you so that there would be no glory in you, but that he threw you. <laughs> he could take humble little old me. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the excuse that people say, well, God could never use me. God, I don't have anything to offer. No, that's exactly what God is looking for. He's looking for somebody with nothing to offer. He's looking for somebody with everything stacked against them. He's looking for somebody with a record that would say there's no way so that he could use you to turn the world upside down. Come on. That ought to give you hope and encouragement tonight. I'm in the right place. I'm not here by accident. No, God chose me. 
Nobody going around. Nobody's going around. Nobody would go, to, go through the city and say, okay, we, we, need, we need some leaders in this city. Walk down the alleyways and the byways and the strip clubs and the alcohol alleys of the taverns trying to say, let's pull this and let's pull this. But God says, you know what? He said, the world won't listen to me, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go whosoever will. And all I need is a hungry, empty vessel. It doesn't matter where they've been or how messed up they are. And God will pull you out. He'll take you out. Simple, simple, but hungry. Simple. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter when you're brought before the Lord. It doesn't matter what's coming. God said, I'll cast the demon out. I'll redeem you. I'll save you. I'll use you. And this is the story of the church. (laughs) Somebody praise God. That no flesh, no flesh should glory in his. Doesn't make sense to the world. This, This isn't how you build a kingdom. This isn't how you go build a kingdom. This isn't how you win a world. But yet Jesus did. He came down and he chose his disciples. One person said, uh, uh, it's, I don't think it's true absolutely in every way, but in, in a lot of ways it is true that when uh, in, in the Jewish cultures and customs that among their children, the children were taught the Torah and at, at a very young age. And, and uh, their bar mitzvah, coming of age kind of thing, they would have to quote so much of the Torah. And those that were really excellent and excelled in memorization of the law and, and, and reciting and understanding would go on to become rabbis and scribes. But those that didn't cut it, those that weren't good enough for Bible quizzing, <laughs> that got cut from the team, they were sent back home to work in their father's business or wherever else they could find. It was only the the top of the top, the best of the best that were kept and pushed on through rabbinical school. And and they were the ones that were to become the the religious leaders of their community. That was how that was. So so every child was given a chance, but when they weren't good enough, they were sent back home. Isn't it interesting that Jesus did not go and make disciples of other rabbis? But he found young men the, the, these, the, these disciples were not, were not old men when Christ came to them. No, these were young men that he was finding. Peter and Andrew and James and John. These were fishermen. These were uh, 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 people that, uh, mean, m- meaning that they did not make the cut <laughs> to, to be a rabbi. And so, no, you just need, you know what, you know what, uh, uh, James, John, Peter, Andrew, yeah, you know what, thank you, it was a good effort, but you need to go home, you need to fish. And, and they went home. He, he went to Matthew, Levi, who was a tax collector, who was literally a traitor to his own people, pocketing money, making money through the Roman scheme off of his own people. And this is, this is the one that the Lord would call. Judas had a money problem. And yet this is the one that God would choose. Even though he would betray him, he still says, you know what? Nobody else is picking you. I'll pick you. Come on. You you like money? You can be the treasurer. I'll take care of it. Simon the zealot is literally a terrorist in that day. The zealots believed that Messiah wouldn't come back unless they overthrew the kingdom. And so every chance that they could do, they were blowing things up. They were doing whatever, trying to just cause a mess to all kinds of government upheaval. They literally are. And Jesus says, okay, I know you got some anger issues we got to work out, but but I'm going to choose you. Not many wise not many mighty, not many noble, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house today. The woman with the alabaster box. If you knew who this was, you would not let her in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's because you're thinking after your carnal mind. You don't even get it, the things of God. He goes on in verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us 
wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Everybody say praise the Lord. He's quoting in verse 31, if you want to write this down in your notes for the sake of time, I won't go there, but he's quoting from Jeremiah chapter 9, 23 and 24. He's quoting from that passage in Jeremiah. An interesting thing to note here is how much he's going to quote the Old Testament in this next uh, uh, chapter here. He's quoting the Word of God. He's coming back to the Word of God here. Look at what he says, continuing on this line. Now he's talking about his first encounter in verse two, or chapter 2, verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." Talking about not glorying in the flesh. This is what Paul says. He said, look, I come and we preach Christ Jesus. Christ crucified. He said, when I came, I determined I'm not going to speak to you with the excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring the testimony of God. I knew. What is he saying? I knew I was walking into the largest metropolitan area in the city, in the nation of Greece, Corinth. I knew that this was a place that put a high uh, value on philosophy and, and wisdom and human reasoning and understanding. He said, but when I came, I determined to only preach Christ and Him crucified. I came timidly in fear and trembling. I didn't come with authority. I didn't come in personality. I didn't come with persuasive speech. I didn't come in humor. I didn't come in, in heartfelt, emotional storytelling. He said, I kept, it, I kept it plain. I kept it simple. I didn't need to improve the Word of God. I didn't need to improve the story of God. I didn't need to dress it up. I didn't need to make it fancy. I just came to preach Christ and Him crucified why? So that your faith would not be in me, in a personality, in a presentation, in a cultural climate of gathering together, but that your faith would stand, amen, in God alone, and that the Spirit would do the work. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, I, 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 I was raised in church. All my life, my parents drug me to church. All my life. Every time the doors were open, we were there. I grew up in church. I started playing church before I can even remember. I was playing church. I understand we have a church culture, and I love church. And I know we have our nuances and our, 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 our little things, and, and, and we understand there is a church culture, and there's nothing long, wrong with tradition. There's nothing wrong with that. And I grew up uh, 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 preaching was, was the most important thing in my life as a child, as an early age. But I'm going to tell you, if we're not careful, church can be about culture. It becomes a custom and a culture, and it has to be a certain way, and we cheapen what God has given. And sometimes in our, in our preaching, preachers take note of what Paul is saying here. In our preaching, we feel pressure to perform. We feel like not only do I have to perform, I, I, I've got to be funny. I, I, I've, got, I've got to get them to cry. I've got to get them to respond. What Paul said is, no, I didn't come with anything. I just came with the Word of God. I just opened up. I just spoke the Word of God. It's just Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And he said, I did that. Why? so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Just preach the word. It's the word that changes it. Let the Holy Ghost do the work. 
I pray to God that we would see a revival of preachers in this day and age that are not just professional presenters, but that just can stand, knowing they are nothing, knowing God saved them from the gutters, and just deliver the simple word of God, and let the word change men's heart, and let the spirit convict people's souls. Who am I to think that I can help God out? Think that I can improve on Scripture? Who am I to think that I can improve? No, 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 no. Our faith stands in the power of God. If we can't get it, if the church can't get excited about Jesus Christ and Him crucified, your little storytelling is not going to help. You may get people along, you may build a crowd, you may grow a church, but you're not changing lives. That's not really revival. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying there's, there's, there's this contrast, there's this conflict between, your, between the things that the world values and what God values. See, he's been using this word foolishness and wisdom counter constantly, power and wisdom. He's using this back and forth to the human mind, human heart. It doesn't make sense. But God's ways are not our ways, and He came to turn everything upside down, to reverse it, to set it right, really, if you will. So He does things not according to the way humanity thinks. God doesn't take the the pretty, fair, clean, uh, uh, confident, arrogant, and use them. No, He takes the humble, the broken, the lowly. This is what Mary realized Luke chapter number one, we won't turn there, but you can read it on your own, the song that we often call the Magnificent, Magnificent, where Mary is at Elizabeth's house, and when she walks into the house, the babe within Elizabeth's uh, uh, belt. Both of these are, are, are miracle births because Zechariah and Elizabeth could not have children. And yet the angel prophesied, and Elizabeth uh, was with child of John, who we'd later know called John the Baptist. He's a little bit older, and Mary, her her younger cousin, comes to visit her, and 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 makes this connection. She has, I, I mean, if you are Mary, and I mean, this Mary is impregnated of God. She's pregnant, being a virgin. This is a miracle, and she hears her older cousin after child bearing years, is now having a child. and Everybody knows the story of the angel and whatever else. Mary, okay, I'm going to visit her. Mary walks in, and when she walks in, the Bible says that John the Baptist inside leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth said, Blessed art thou among women. She begins to prophesy. And in that moment, Mary begins to praise God. It says, My soul doth magnify the Lord. I said we weren't go there, but it's too good not to go there. (laughs) Look at this. She says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. God Almighty. Look at what verse 47 says. Luke chapter 1 and verse 47. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Imagine this moment of revelation for Mary as she is praising Almighty, eternal God and yet feeling the manifestation of Him in her womb. As she begins to sing a praise to her Savior that is no longer someone that is beyond the heavenlies, but somebody that she can feel. For He hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Me blessed. This is what Mary is saying. Who am I? I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm not the one that you would pick. I'm not the A team. I'm not the B team. I don't even make junior varsity. And yet now, because of what God has done, everyone is going to call me blessed. This moment, for he that is mighty 
hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and he hath sent the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath opened or helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers Abraham to his seed forever. Wow. Wow, what an incredible thing. So Paul says, look, this is everything. The world may not get it. This is everything. Go with me to verse 6. Let's go back to chapter 2, verse 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among men, them that are perfect. That word there, perfect, I, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6. What Paul is saying here is when I came, I determined I was just going to preach the same, the, 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 the simple, plain truth of Christ crucified. But now he's making a statement. He said, now, among those that are perfect, and that word translated perfect there uh, would, all, would also mean or intend mature. Those that are spiritually mature is what he's talking about. Among those which are perfect, those believers, not, not those in the world, those that are spiritually mature, he said, we, we do speak wisdom. We talk the deep things of God. We do talk about things that the world would not understand. The world, world's going to just, I, I don't get what it, and, you know, would not understand what we're talking. But we talk about the deep things of God. He said, yet... Not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, nor that come to naught, which is sort of another little funny way of saying, yeah, this hadn't really worked out for them. All these civilizations that no longer exist anymore, the wisdom of this world that comes to naught. If you think through secular, re it's, it's, it, I will say this, it is impressive to our carnal mind. It is absolutely impressive what is happening right now at this transition in humanity with technology, with different things that are going on. It is impressive. Things that we could not even fathom and imagine. But don't be deceived into falling prey to think that man now has reached this place where we, we are justified in being arrogant in who we are. Because there are civilizations, ancient civilizations, that have passed away that we see remnants of, hints of we know nothing about, and yet we still cannot figure out how they knew what they knew back then. A couple, I mean, you look at the, 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 uh, the Incas. And you pick, pick your continent, pick your place in the world. Civilizations, how did they live up there? How did they build up there? How did they construct all that stuff? And what happened to them? Nobody even knows. We only see the structure, the remains of the things that they've done. This is what he says, the princes of this world that come to naught. You think, you think we're the last ones to discover every place in the world just in the last hundred years? We've, they, they have maps that are close to a thousand years old, even maybe even predating that, going way back. And those maps were drawn global maps. They have a map of Antarctica. If you don't believe me, you can look up the book. I think it's called The Fingerprints of the Gods. It's not a Christian book, but there's a map in there so old that had a map of Antarctica, and they, they dismissed it because the coastline that they drew for Antarctica is not accurate to the coastline that we see today. And so they thought, oh, oh that, map, that map was mistaken, until they realized that the map is drawn the coastline, it's the actual coastline, and we didn't know this until just a few years ago to where we had the technology to be able to x-ray through the ice to find out where the coastline of Antarctica even is to start with. And it matches up. How did they know that thousands of years ago? We don't know. One thing we do know, they ain't here anymore. <laughs> What he's saying. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, saying, He's showing this to us. He's not this mystery of God. We're, we're talking about the wisdom of God, the things that were hidden 
from the world. Pharaoh didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what he was doing. He, Nebuchadnezzar did not know what was happening there. The Assyrian king did not know. Shennacherib, he did not know what he was up against when he was playing into all this stuff. And God was just using him and allowing him to, 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 to position his people and correct his people and deal with his people. They had no clue. It was hidden, which none, he says in verse 8, none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Herod, Pilate, they wouldn't have made the mistakes that they, that they made. They would not have done it. And then in verse number 9, he quotes Isaiah. It's Isaiah here, verse number 9. He's quoting Isaiah 64 and 4. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah 64. Isaiah's preaching to a backslidden state, God's people. He's preaching to a secular culture, and he's saying, I don't care what you think, God has things you can't even imagine. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard what God has prepared for him. To you it's hidden in your carnal mind. <laughs> what is that? Oh, yeah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and bring forth a son. and They shall call his name Emmanuel. Yeah, to the world it doesn't make sense. You don't know it, but, but this is what happened. Look at what he says in verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us. By his spirit. <clears throat> For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. God hath revealed these hidden things that were done, these hidden things. God hath revealed unto us by his spirit. We are able to know. This is what Paul is saying. Look, Paul, when Paul says this, Paul's testimony is maybe a little. Not as ordinary as somebody else. When Paul says, God hath revealed this to me by his spirit, what's he talking about? He's talking about, or at least in context, he's, he's including that day he was on his way to Damascus. And there was a light shine down from heaven that smote him blind. He falls off, and all of a sudden a voice begins to speak to him. It was the spirit of God. <laughs> he said, Paul, you're, you're looking after the flesh. You think you're doing me service and you're fighting against the very thing that I sent to save you. And by the Spirit, God revealed it. For the Spirit searcheth the thing, all things, yea, the deep things of God. Look at what he says here. And this is a beautiful passage of Scripture here. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? This is a question. So Paul's so, sort of posing a question. What he's saying here is nobody knows what's going on in your mind, Brother Brian. Except for you. Nobody knows what's inside of you except for you. I don't know your spirit. I don't know your intent. I don't know your desire. But you know your own heart. You know your own spirit. You know your own spirit. Nobody knows what I'm dealing with except for me. This is what he's saying. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. If you don't know me and I don't know you except for what's inside, really. And who are you to think you can figure God out? Who are you to think you can, not only, who are you to think you can figure him out? He said, not only that, who are you to think that you can tell God a better way of what he needs to do? This is what he says. Look at what he says. Now, verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Verse 12. I, maybe we need to highlight that in there. We have not received, or we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Amen. So we haven't been given the spirit of the world. We've been given the spirit of God. Verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Who is our teacher? It's the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God. God is our teacher. He's still teaching us. If the Spirit isn't teaching you, still, you need to reposition your life. Re-examine your life. 
He said, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he be, uh, uh, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 14, what's he saying here? Well, he's saying, I think one takeaway is this is don't be offended when the world doesn't get you. And in turn, you really ought not get the world. That's right. The world will not understand us, but there ought to be another thing in us. We ought not understand the world. It is the grace and the mercy of God when you have been saved so long that you look at things that the world is doing and you say, I do not understand why they are doing that. I don't understand for the life of me. That's, that's the way it ought to be. You ought to be able to drive by the bars and strip clubs and say, I do not understand why in, in any, any point in life somebody would ever do the things that they're doing and that stuff. Why? Because God has changed us. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Verse 15, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. What is he saying here? He's saying that the values of the spiritual, the things that we value, they're not, they're not, they're not subject to anybody else in this world. But the spiritual things, we examine all things. Look at it in the New Living Translation. I like this verse in the New Living Translation. 1 Corinthians 2 and 15, the NLT says, Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. This world cannot evaluate it. They can't understand it. They're never going to get it. But when I'm spiritual, oh yeah, I have a mind to discern everything. When I'm spiritual, it's not me. I have a mind to discern all things, to, to, to evaluate all things. Why? Because we walk not after the flesh, but we walk after the Spirit. And he closes with verse 16. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? In verse 16, he is quoting Isaiah 40 and 13. And Isaiah 40 and 13, let me just go there real quick. And uh, Isaiah 40 and 13, he says this, Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? Job also testifies of it too, as well. In Job 15 and 8, Jeremiah talks about it. But this is what Paul says, who has, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So we said it earlier, you can't know what God's thinking in his heart in, in a sense to where you can say, okay, God, you need to change. You need to, you're not going to instruct God. He said, but thankfully, we do have the mind of Christ in us, that the mind of God, the things of the Spirit are come down that we can understand and we can know what God has for us to do. Stand together.